you know how there's like memes and jokes about how when you come out your straight friends are like oh my god don't hit on me right I feel like that's similar with non-monogamy where then people are like wait so is this a date welcome back to bad in bed the queer sex education podcast I'm Gabrielle Cassell and I'm Bobby Box and today we are joined by two guests Kai Werder and Vivian McCall, and we're going to talk about queerness everywhere, basically looking at the different ways that queerness takes shape in rural, urban, and suburban spaces. But before Bobby and I record every episode, we typically have like a 30-minute therapy session of just the two of us. One of these days, I might have a complete psychotic breakdown. I'd like that. And so I got on today, and I was saying to Bobby, like, I would really like to be in a relationship. I'm Mm. I'm not feeling lonely. My life feels really rich with friends, but I would love a partner with whom to share my life with. And we were getting vulnerable and he was like, this is a really nice conversation. Can we press record? So we are now, (laughs) we have just pressed record and midway through the therapy. And this is what, this is where Gabby was going before we uh, hit record. Like Gabby said she was experiencing app fatigue, which I think every single, like dating app fatigue. And I think every single one of us can relate to that. I think apps are, we've mentioned this on the podcast in the past too. Like you just, you go on an app and sometimes it just seems too, everything's too accessible. Nobody's really investing in anything. So it's easy to tire from it. So I suggested, you know, I wish I told Gabby that I wish there were more lesbian bars so that, you know, most queer bars are filled by cis men. And, you know, cis gay men. And I just wish that there were more spaces for queer women to, or others, you know, everyone else, basically. So I wish that there were queer spaces in general. For Mm. me, bars just aren't a place where I'm ever going to be the best, most confident, most comfortable version of myself. I don't drink. Mm. So when I'm there, I'm very aware of the fact that there's different intoxication levels. I enjoy dancing, like goofy dancing, put on the Cotton Eye Joe and I'll go wild. But like sexy dancing, it just doesn't feel super intuitive to me. Mm. And so as much as I enjoy like being in a queer space like a queer bar because I know I'm surrounded by similarness and sameness, right. it just isn't going to be the place where people really get to meet like me. Like the the me that like you love. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's just, it's not like where they'll be able to meet you at your best. And, yeah, it's, yeah. It's really more like a hike or a coffee shop or doing some kind of like physical movement or a place where like I know that we're all sober and maybe moving our bodies or just talking or connecting on a different level. Right. I, I wish for myself to get to a place where I can be more comfortable at queer bars and Mm. lesbian bars and gay bars and dancing and and maybe that comes back to the sort of like underlying anxiety or fear I have that like I don't exude sexual confidence in real life interesting I think I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before but as a sex educator I feel like I'm constantly dancing the line online of not coming off as too sexy or too sexual because I still want to be relatable Mm -hmm. and also I'm just like not too sexy whatever that means (laughs) yeah yeah and then in person I you know I desperately wish that I was sexier like I just don't Mm -hmm. exude sensual sexual energy 
the way I feel a lot of people do. Like there is a goofiness and I think a joy that I exude, but it's not inherently sexual. And so sometimes I feel like I have a hard time helping people see that I am a sensual being in person. Gabby, season one to season two, I'm just like, I'm so proud of you. You're at like your Charizard level of, <laughs> of vulnerability. It's Like, to your point, I think that there's a lot of us that fake it. You know, I, I think a lot of us don't feel like we're actually, like, that super sexy person that we portray. I think it's a bit of, like, it's almost like drag in that sense that you're kind of, like, everyone is kind of doing the same thing. We're all playing a little bit of a role. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that maybe if you just nudge into that and be like, screw it, I'm going to be sexy. You are being, I mean, I feel like you're TikTok is where you get to be like your little sexy vixen self. I'm okay. like, I'm thirst trapping? Get out. I I've been thirst trapping. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're right. I guess I have been doing some fake it until I make it yeah. via TikTok. And I even on my, my Instagram has felt a little thirstier. There's, there was a part where I, when I started doing it, this was like shortly after I came out that I was like, this is embarrassing. What am I doing this for? But then I'm like, it actually has benefits to it. Like when someone likes your po, you feel good, you feel validated. And I feel like queer people need validation because we never really had it growing up, you know? So now we're like thirsty for it and we want it, you know, like friends my age who are straight don't post like I do anymore. You know what oh. I mean? Like they're posting pictures with like their children <laughs> oh, and like, I'm over here, like without my shirt on giving the peace sign in my mirror. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, we've got different lifestyles right now. And, I don't want yours, to be quite frank. Is it that you don't want theirs or that you feel like you're just not at that stage of life yet? Oh, I authentically don't want that. (laughs) But I I, I think a lot of queer people do struggle with um, that idea of like, you know, we're not following that path that we were told our lives should follow or like Mm -hmm. we're behind in some sense. And I've come to terms with the fact that, you know, even before I came out, I never wanted to have kids or anything like that. So it's like, you know, I, I and I it got as far as to like, I asked my parents, I was like, are you disappointed that I'm not going to have kids? Mm. And they were like, no, no, not at all. We had one because we don't really like kids either. So it was like, <laughs> they made me feel good about that too. And you know what? Like if queer people who do want kids, I love that, you know, mm. like I, and you can, That's it me. is absolutely possible. Yeah. What's your ideal? Do you want like multiple or do you want one or? This is a fun question. So this has evolved a lot for me over the last few years. Um, I, after my parents got divorced, I was really anti-marriage and really mm-hmm. anti-family. Um, I have since worked through those issues in therapy. Woo, we love. And over the last few years, I've come to the realization that I really would like to have a kid. And part of it mm-hmm. is that I now live close enough to my mom that I get to see her somewhat frequently. And getting to spend time with her and seeing our sameness, like she's the tree and I'm the apple, you know, the apple right. is yep. the tree. It brings me a tremendous amount of joy. And so the thought of getting to be the tree to some fetus apple situation <laughs> feels fun to me. And and my desire for birthing at least one kid has definitely um, grown over the course of the pandemic. Oh, so you want to give birth? At least once. Okay. All right. Um, I think it will be really hard for me. 
I think mm-hmm. like what like feeling like I'm losing control of my body will be really hard for me, mm-hmm. especially because I see my body as this kind of like muscle machine. Right. Um, but my mom talks about pregnancy with such delight. Like she really loved being pregnant and she talks about how being pregnant helped her see her body as like a machine that gives life. And there's something kind of beautiful about that for me. So anyway, <laughs> I like kind of still do want the white picket fence um, mm. lifestyle, so but with somebody with a similar gen- gender to my own. So it's interesting. It's hard for me to know if that desire comes down to comfort and familiarity because that's what I grew up with or like just like so much deep internalized homophobia or like heterosexism. It's hard mm. to know. But the idea of having a family and like cooking dinner and like eating dinner together and like going off to write during the day and then coming home and hearing about my kids' soccer practice, like it makes me emotional. Like it is something I desire. Gabby, we could not be more like we are very similar in a lot of ways, but yeah. in this way, I could not be more different. <laughs> like what you just said to me sounded like like I, I feel like I've had nightmares of that scenario. Mm. Like I want, I want the life where it's like, I can work whenever I want. I don't Mm -hmm. have to like get everything done before a certain time before my kids come home. I, uh, I want to live in a city. I don't want to live in a suburb or anything like that. I, I want to go on vacation whenever I want. I, I, a very anxious person. So, I mean, I couldn't even imagine the anxiety I would have over another living being right that I'm in charge of so it's just like there's also there's selfish reasons but there's also things me going like I would be a wreck I wouldn't let that kid out of my sight mm. you know like be, and if I did I would just be a wreck the whole time like I would be like one of those like real housewife moms where like always has like the glass of wine in their hand just to keep them like calm as homonormative as I think my desire sounds when I say it out loud it is really important to me that my life is just filled with queerness. Like I like the idea of queer potlucks. I want queer parent friends. I want to like see queer art exhibitions. I still want my work to be queer. So it, there's definitely this balancing act I have to do in my head when I think about like my five-year plan, LOL. Five-year plan. <laughs> um, about like, okay, h- how do I balance this desire for a nuclear family with my desire for a queer chosen family with my sort of like deep loyalty to queerness in general. And you know what? I do find that, you know, when I first came out, a you know, a couple, a married bear couple, they'd moved from Toronto to like where I lived at the time. Mm-hmm. And they very much had that. Like they would have us over once a week at least. And we would um, watch a queer movie. We would all bring food each, like a potluck. And it was very gay. It was very, you know, but like they had a traditionally, you know, like heteronormative kind of relationship. They didn't have kids or anything, but like they always made sure to keep it gay. Like mm. they kind of took me in. They, I was kind of their child for a while because I'd just come out and they were like, we have to teach him the ways. Like, let's show him a gay movie. Let's, um, he'd never, se- I'd never seen um, Golden Girls before. So they were like, oh, Girl, we need to do Golden Girls. Yeah. So like, you know, it, I feel like almost that was their way of getting, you know, they didn't want kids, but like they were also kind of like parental to like newbies. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And they still are. So we don't talk anymore, which is sad, but you know what? I think I've been thinking about reaching out to them again because I do miss them a lot. 
Gosh, Bobby, I can so see you. And I think maybe in your own way that primarily exists like via the internet, you are this, but like a caretaker for younger queer men. Like you just, you just exude warmth and care and the way that you're able to communicate knowledge. I, I must imagine that there are just like younger queer people and boys who just like so respect and look up to you in the way you did them. You're going to make me cry. That's the <laughs> nicest thing I've ever heard. Honestly, I do. I want to be like, my goal is to be like a big brother. That's like never going to judge you. I'm just going to like take you on this path. Like I get, I've been making a habit lately to like really get in touch with those DMS. And I know you and I always like, cause you know, there's a lot of them. You can't get in touch with everybody, but sometimes they just say the nicest things. And I'm like, you have made this job so worth it for me. Do you know what I mean? Like you're saying everything I set out to do and everything you just said there, like, thank you. Of course. I so mean it. All right. Before we start crying, I'm also feeling emotional. (laughs) Let's switch gears. We're going to bring on our two guests and we're going to talk about the different ways queerness shows up in different uh, populations and spaces. Listener, I have some hot gossip for you. I got laid this weekend. No, I did not have sex with another human, but me, myself, and my new Fun Factory toy, the tiger, got it on. Let me tell you a little bit about the tiger. The tiger is Fun Factory's take on a G-spot wand. It's a long, dildo-esque shaped toy that vibrates and has a slight curve to support internal hotspot stimulation. And when I use this toy, ooh, did my body react. I can't recommend it enough for anyone who enjoys external or internal stimulation. It is safe for anal play. Check it out at funfactory.com. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Gee. Okay, we're going, we're going, we're going. Today we are doing things a little bit different. We have on not one, but two guests. And the four of us are going to have a conversation basically about the intersection of queerness, dating, and location. This episode idea came from our producer, Viv, who recently relocated from Chicago to Seattle and noticed that she was having a really different experience sort of dating and fucking and said, hey, guys, let's talk about this and see if this is sort of a common theme that folks are having. So I think a good place for us to start is let's all go around. Maybe Viv, you can start. Say your name, say your pronouns, maybe say other relevant information to your dating life, relationship, preferred relationship structure, sexuality, et cetera. Yeah, sounds good. So um, my name is Vivian McCall. I live in Seattle. And as Gabby just said, I just moved here from Chicago, Um, kind of from the South, generally non-monogamous relationship. Um, She, her pronouns. And then Kai, do you want to go? Yeah, I'm Kai. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm currently in New Orleans, and I've been here for about a year and a half. Um, I'm from New York, and when I say I'm from New York, I mean, like, I've lived in every region of New York State possible, pretty much. So grew up in, like, really rural western New York and spent my early 20s and, like, where I came out in, like, the Hudson Valley upstate New York area. Um, and then lived in Brooklyn for a little while. I am newly in my 30s. <laughs> uh, Bobby, we know. I, I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm Bobby. Um, I lived in Hamilton for like Hamilton, Ontario. I'm Canadian for the longest time, I think till I was 27. And then I moved out to Toronto when I came out of the closet. And I've been here ever since. So it's been about 
four years, three, four years, and I use he, him pronouns. And then I'm Gabrielle Cassell. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm a queer bisexual dyke. And I just moved about a year ago from New York City to the suburbs of New England. I've kind of been bopping around towns all throughout uh, New England. So dating has definitely been interesting. Viv, do you want to take it away and maybe say a little bit more about your experience since since you're the one who is like so freshly having this experience of, ah, location, changes, queerness? Yeah, I can totally do that. So um, I lived in Chicago for eight years. Um, I came out in that time, so I already went from dating like straight to dating gay, which is a big change, and then went from like monogamy to non-monogamy pretty quickly after that. Um, when I was in Chicago, I dated a lot of people. I had like kind of a lot of regular casual partners. Um, I have one serious partner right now. We sort of have less of poly structure and have more of a just non-monogamy. It's like we don't really have romantic relationships outside of ours. I had like a community back in Chicago um, and was pretty regularly hooking up with people. But that was something that I sort of built over time. I sort of had my like Super Smash Bros. roster of like people <laughs> I could like call up and we were friends and we were cool. And um, we it took time to build that up because I think, you know, Chicago is sort of the beacon of the Midwest. So, you know, folks from Michigan and folks from Wisconsin and Indiana and Ohio, like everybody's coming in there. And generally, those are places where it's not super chill to be a queer person, you know, cis or trans. And um, I think people still sort of had hangups, which is why when like Lex originally came out, I was excited because this could be like a dikey space. And what it turns out that Lex in Chicago is, is like, like trauma dumping and like using it as like a diary entry. It's so wacky. And it was such a bummer because it was like, hey, this space was kind of created so we have a place to meet each other and, and it sucked. So I moved to Seattle um, and I very quickly found out that the culture here is different. I think on the West Coast, people are, Washington State and especially the Seattle area has been a lot cooler about queer people for a much longer time. So you have more people who didn't grow up with as much stigma and don't have as many of these hangups in a lot of ways. And I found that really surprising. Lex was a place you could meet somebody and just like, fuck. And it was really easy and kind of like overwhelming. Like I moved here and posted something like, help me like, you know, housewarm my apartment. I got like 30 people who messaged me. Damn. And I'm like, it wasn't, Damn. It wasn't that okay. good of an ad, to be honest. <laughs> and so it, I was like, something must be different here. And very ironically, I'm... <laughs> I'm like pretty happy in my like way more monogamous than I have been in the past setup, which is funny because now it's easier and more available. It has been really, really different. And when you're noticing the differences, is it also happening in these other apps beyond Lex? Like, are you seeing it in Tinder or Grindr? Are you seeing it in person also? Definitely. Um, I think generally people around here are just way more ready to kind of get out there. Um, especially women. Women are more like sexually forward with other women than they were in the Midwest. And I also find that people here do not have hangups about trans people in the same way that they do in the Midwest. And that goes for 
women and it goes for dudes as well you know so it's kind of interesting i think it might just be that folks have been more aware of it here for a long time and i think there are also areas in seattle that are a bit different for gay people like in chicago there's boys town and it's sort of the like gay mecca but it's a very commercial gay district while i live in capitol hill which feels very much like a culturally gay neighborhood which is a way different thing it's like not built around businesses that are like you know quote unquote like gay businesses there are businesses here that gay people like um and they either like are queer focused or they're not and queer people just live here they don't just like come here to shop here and it's way more common that i feel like i'll go a whole day and i won't see like a stroller of like and straight folks which was super common in boys town that sounds amazing. It's pretty great. I, you know, again, I'm new and like, but I will say that it seems that the, that gay people here have a bit of a different cultural relationship with where they live. And I think that is reflected in the way that they fuck. And what's especially interesting is the fact that you are evolving or moving to Seattle at a really different point in the pandemic than the last year and a half that you spent in Chicago. Like there is also this way in which like, okay, people are probably vaccinated. People are now at a point where they're ready to make risk aware decisions about fucking and maybe therefore fucking more now than they were a year and a half ago anywhere geographically. That is totally true. And like, but I would say that even as compared to like, the way that my sex life used to be before the pandemic, even compared to that. Well, yeah. And it's interesting, like how you kind of, it's more than just sex really, because it changes your whole relationship with your queerness based on where you live. Like I was in Hamilton and I was in the more suburban area. So I was, I'm not even going to, I may be overstepping, but maybe one of 10 out people in that whole city. I just had the impression that like neighbors were like looking out the window, expecting me to like walk down, taking my garbage out in heels. Do you know what I mean? Like that's cause that's how they see queer people. And it was just like, no, I'm still the same person who's lived here his entire life. You know, I just, I'm being more authentic with myself, but you know, it could have also just been my own internalized homophobia, just thinking people were thinking that because that was kind of how before I came out, people around me spoke of queer people. So it was just kind of my way to like, get out of my own head was to move out where where I felt normal and I know we all hate the word normal but like where I felt like I was around like-minded people you know so that's what Toronto was for me I guess I'll speak a little bit about my experience so I lived in actually I'll backtrack further than that I went to Smith College for school which is a historical women's college now is a college full of gender minorities and it was an incredibly queer experience right I played rugby during college there was 52 of us on the team and 51 of us identified as queer and so I went from this incredibly queer college moved to New York City and I had an incredibly not queer experience in the city. And a lot of that was my own doing. Really, when I lived in New York, all I did was work and work out, specifically CrossFit. And the CrossFit space there certainly wasn't queer. There might have been some gay men, but it wasn't a specifically queer space. And so for me, queer community that I had while I lived in New York City was just lingering queer community that I had had established while in college. 
then when I, when I moved and I moved to suburbia, I knew immediately that I was going to have to actively seek out queer community and queer partnerships and queer lovers. And so I really actively immediately started seeking that out. I was actively using dating apps. I was on Lex. I was reaching out to the people I knew who were who from high school who were now out and queer. And so for me, my life right now, a year after leaving New York City is... I have way more interactions with queer, intimate interactions with queer people than I had in New York. That said, two days ago, I visited the city to visit one of my queer friends and we held hands all day. And like I sat on their lap while we were eating lunch and I don't, there is no chance I would do that where I currently live. And so there is this other way in which like, yes, I have more queer community in suburbia, but I am definitely sheltering maybe some of the queer intimacy that I wouldn't feel like I needed to shelter in a, in a more urban space. Gabby, I'm curious um, that why you don't think you made enough of an effort or in New York, maybe to be more queer or find queer community. Do you think maybe it was like overwhelming because New York is such a Mecca for queer people? And you were just like, this is overwhelming. I don't even want to try. Or like, what were your reasoning for that because it feels like as soon as you moved out you were like time to find my community again yeah so I think there are a few reasons and I'll be curious to listen to sort of Kai's thoughts on this because I know that they also lived in the city at some point but uh, I think one piece of it is I saw the queer community in New York City as being really highly aestheticized like there's very much like this image of the New York City queer and quite frankly like I just don't fit into that I am not hip enough or cool enough, or maybe I don't wear the right clothes. And so some of that was like my own doing, feeling like an outsider just from a visual standpoint. Um, I think one other piece of it is I don't drink and I don't use substances. And so I didn't necessarily feel like I always had access points to the queer community outside of alcohol consumption. Like obviously there are queer bars and lesbian bars and queer spaces in New York City. And also that meant deciding, okay, I'm going to be a sober person in a space that is not a sober space. And then third, I think it's because I was really exploring my bisexuality in the city for the first time, right? I had identified as lesbian up until the point of living in New York City. I had a boyfriend for a year and a half, the first year and a half of the five years that I lived in the city. So in some ways, the fact that my first leg into the city involved me having a boyfriend and being in a straight passing, however we feel about that phrase, relationship meant that I didn't. I just wasn't in queer spaces or being perceived as queer. And I will say when that relationship with him ended, I had a full identity crisis because it was the first time in my life that I did not, I wasn't being read as queer. I didn't have queer friendships. I wasn't part of queer community. It was totally destabilizing. And I feel so much more stable now that I have sort of re-found those queer those queer friend groups. Wait, Kai, so you were nodding your head when I made the comment about New York City kind of having this stylized or aestheticized queerness. Can you maybe speak to that? Like, was that your experience? Or maybe just tell us about you. I'm, I'm so curious. Sure, yeah. This is like bringing up so many thoughts for me, just like hearing all of y'all's experience. So I grew up in like really rural uh, Western New York. So like, I was surrounded by farms. Like my first job was like on a farm, like very rural. And, um, and I think about like, if I had stayed there, what my life would have been like, like, because queerness was not talked about at all and if it was talked about it was like bullying the out lesbian teacher right um so there was 
and absolutely no discussion about gender, like not touched with a 10 foot pole. Right. And so I didn't come out until like, I guess like you could say like later for like our generation as, as a millennial, like I didn't come out until I was 23. And I think that if I had stayed where I grew up, maybe I would have come out, but my life would have been like very like homonormative, but would have really like reflected probably heteronormative life, just like with a gay partner. Right. Um, so then I, I, when I lived in the Hudson Valley, I actually worked at the LGBTQ center up there. And, um, that's, I came out when I started working there. Um, and my parents, God bless them, were, were still surprised. Um, I thought I was working at an LGBTQ center and they, they were like still shocked that I came out. But yeah, so it's interesting working there because you would think that like, I would really be tapped into like all of the queer spaces and I was, but the queer spaces at state at that time, they have shifted so much since I moved out, but like they were really older queers. So um, like really like 45 and up. Um, so who had either like grown up in the Hudson Valley area or had lived their twenties in the city and then moved to upstate to like after they found a partner and wanted to settle and all of that. And so I, I had my first girlfriend there and you know we had like a little bit of a rocky relationship a little bit of like a back and forth relationship and in the times that we were off I would go on dates and I found it really challenging because um one you like swipe on tinder swipe like three times and then it's like searching for matches no one else is around so it's really limited and I think because of that I don't want to make any like broad sweeping statements, but I did see a, like a little bit of a pattern of people would go back to relationships that they weren't necessarily very happy in because they felt like it was dating was so limited. Um, now the Hudson Valley has completely shifted and the queer community there is so much, so much more like, um, I yeah, so much more, expansive I guess is the word I'm looking for um and then so then I moved to, into Brooklyn for for a plethora of reasons one of them being that I wanted more queer community and I wanted more queer dating options and I kind of chuckled when you said that about like the how like the New York City queer community is really like aesthetic and like kind of like has a lot of like clicks within it right um and so when I first moved there I was just trying to like find people that I related to people that I wanted to build relationships with and be friends with. And um, I definitely really struggled because I felt like I didn't have all of the language that everyone was using. I was completely unfamiliar with non-monogamy. I'm now polyamorous. And so it was really big learning curve for me. I'm not sober, but I'm not really into nightlife spaces. And so I totally relate with what you were saying around queer community in the city being really focused around nightlife spaces, really focused around going out and drinking and dancing. And that wasn't always what I wanted to do. So I would say it took me probably a solid like two years until I started to feel like, okay, I've made some like really good friendship connections and I'm starting to figure out dating for myself. And, and I started to you know, find play parties that like felt really good. And I started to explore my sexuality a little bit more and explore different relationship dynamics. So it definitely, I think, gave me a backdrop to really try out new experiences and 
date a lot of different people and fuck a lot of different people and just yeah and like try out like oh I can fuck a friend and like that can be a fun experience right and we can still be friends and it doesn't have to you know you don't have to like connect sex and relationships which I think are growing up of course that was really cemented into me and then now being in New Orleans so I moved to New Orleans in March of 2020 two weeks before shut like lockdown happened yeah um and so what I found here is that there aren't as many specifically queer spaces as there are in New York City so it's not like there's like a queer event or like a queer dance party or a queer this it's more so like there are like there are some gay bars for sure and then there are a lot of like queer asterisk bars where they're just like they're like very like queer affirming and a lot of queer people go there right and then same similar with events where it's like there might be a DJ that's performing that's queer and so a lot of queer people happen to be there but it's not a decidedly queer event so yeah I'm still trying to figure it out here and I, I've been like slowly starting to date other people here um, and I have another long distance partner who lives in Arizona now so yeah it's all it's all interesting to like see the evolution of of through location right has the way that you've leaned into online queer community changed based on where you are do you think that has to do with location or maybe the types of technology technological apps available yeah I was it's interesting Viv to hear you talk about Lex because in New York I Lex started when I still lived in New York and I made a couple of posts and I similarly got like 30 responses and I'm like this similarly was like not even that interesting of a post it's just like hey let's like grab a cocktail and you know whatever um and then coming here Lex has used a lot more like like I kind of laughed when you said people kind of used it to like vent or like write their poetry and stuff because that's what it seems to be here too is like some people and I don't know if that's because it was during lockdown and so people weren't posting like meet up type ads and they were more just like this is a space where queer people will read my words and so I want to share them I'm not quite sure right like because COVID kind of yeah like taints that and I'm not sure what it was like pre-COVID so um yeah I would say I relied on apps a lot when I was in New York City and to like first make connections and here I've more so been going to events and like meeting people in person um it seems like queers here are not as like using the apps as much like it's much more in-person meets um which is really new to me it's really uh that's definitely like a new thing where I'm like oh we can meet new people when we go out to an event and like then build a connection from there um, because New York kind of had that clicky edge, it's hard to go up to someone new at an event in New York and be like, hey, like, when you feel like, ooh, I don't know if that person wants me to talk to them. And yeah, it's hard to navigate with clicks. Totally. I, that's something I really miss about Chicago, um, because it, it is, it's, it's a really warm place. And, you know, there were, it was clicky in a lot of ways in that like large groups of people would associate themselves with one another, but they weren't totally closed off, but maybe less clicky than it was like clustery. Like you would sort of like find one person and then organically you would meet a lot of people through that orbit. And when somebody, when you had a mutual connection, people were generally like really friendly and like, Oh, you know, so-and-so that's really cool. And they would strike up a friendship with you 
and people who you would know would like say nice things about you and kind of pass it along, which I found it really easy to make friends in Chicago for that reason. In Seattle, I have not been here this long, but it, it actually has a reputation. But I didn't necessarily believe when I moved here and I'm starting. The freeze? Yeah. So the more time that I spend here, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, but it's the Seattle freeze. And it's this idea that like people here are kind of a little bit closed off and cold and, and a little less likely to invite you into their life. And Seattle has changed culturally over the last few years. You know, Amazon came in. There's been a ton, a ton of transplants. It is like a very rapidly growing city. So that isn't necessarily as common, but certainly as compared to where I came from, where I felt like, you know, oh, I have a few friends and it's just, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's really not that hard to hang out with people. People are flaky here, like really flaky and super like unlikely to like invite you into their home, for example. Like in the Midwest, I don't know if there was more of a culture like, let's hang out. And this is just on a friendship level. You know, it's actually really a lot easier to get into somebody's bed than their living room around here, which is weird. Fascinating. Yeah, it's really strange. Like I even was trying to use Lex. I was like, honestly, I need friends. And like, um, I like made a post about that today. And I was really surprised. Like, oh, like there's some people who like do want to hang out. But then I also found that, okay, the people who are attracted to these kind of posts are sort of like aggressively lonely. So they'll like kind of instantly, oh. they'll instantly project that or they'll instantly project this negativity. And I'm like, no fucking way. Like, you know, anybody who is like negative or says something negative about themselves, like right away in an online communication, it's like, no. But like, how else are you supposed to meet people if the culture here is not necessarily like, you can go up to somebody and talk to them. It, it can be, it makes for like a really challenging social experience, but a really easy like sexual one, if you want that, which is kind of a bummer. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I've even found here that in, when I've tried to connect with people, like to actually have a friendship, people, t and because I'm friendly, I'm like, hey, let's hang out. People totally misinterpret it. And like, I, I've had a really hard time. Like, honestly, people have like, I'm like, yeah, it's fun. I'm going to be friends with this person. And then they'll start hitting on me. I'll be like, God damn it. It kind of can feel like a watered down experience if, if all your interactions with other people are have a sexual timbre to them, if you know what I mean. Do yeah. you feel like there's ways that being non-monogamous feeds into that? Like, do you feel like it makes it so that you have to be even more explicit about like what your boundaries and expectations of any kind of dynamic is yes i think there are a lot of people particularly those who are new to non-monogamy i feel like there are a ton especially after the pandemic a ton of people who are brand new some folks interpret that as a totally open door like sometimes that's true but like actually right now for me i'm really really not looking for that in the same way that i used to yeah it's interesting because like um it's, you know, how there's like memes and jokes about how when you come out to like your straight friends, they're like, oh my God, don't hit on me. Right. And it's like, I feel like that's similar with non monogamy, where you like maybe talk about being non monogamous or polyamorous. And then people are like, wait, so is this a date? And I'm, I'm like, no, we literally just decided to like grab lunch. Like, I know it's not a date. If it was a date, I would probably say, do you want to go on a date with me?
Hello everybody, it's Bobby, yet again asking you to make your penis happy with the Manta by Fun Factory. As you might have heard in this episode, I use it every time I masturbate, because the frenulum-based orgasm from this toy is next level, and my legs feel like jelly post-orgasm. It's a lot sexier than it sounds. This stroker is unlike any you've seen before, and is great for stroking, stimulating the frenulum, or using it with a partner, turning your penis into a vibrator. If that wasn't enough to get you interested, you could get 20% off your purchase when you use the code BADINBED at checkout. For more information, or to make a purchase you won't regret, visit funfactory.com and buy the Manta today. Bobby, are you noticing anything like that now that you're recently single in Toronto for the first time in a while? Are you feeling like you have to, like, re-solidify that friendships are friendships? Or, like, oh. that? Yeah. Yeah, no, um, but I've always felt that way, um... I think all of my friendships started with a crush one way or the other, or like you've hooked up before and then you decide to be friends afterwards. Um, I've almost had the opposite experience to Kai where like, I think it's lunch and then it's actually like the non-monogamous person's like, Oh, it's a date. And I'm like, Oh, no, it's not. I'm not ready. I'm sorry. But like, you know, we could do the other thing though. It's like, if you're good with that, but yeah, it's, um, you know, especially as a gay man, it's very, um, a lot of things are very sex driven. Like, you know, you go on, even my experience on the apps, like I would be on Grindr and Scruff, say in Hamilton, and I would just get a bunch of torsos, you know, because they're discreet or they're not out because that's, that's the, you know, or completely blank. And then they're asking you for pictures, but, um, the, it's like, you know, it's just kind of, you can almost get a feel of, um, how they're like their progressiveness, I guess, in that city when you go on the grinder and see the like if you get a lot of faces like you do in Toronto, you get like a gallery basically before you even talk to the person. You're like, okay, they're cool with like being gay and they're cool with showing their themselves. Where like, yeah, so whenever I go back home, it's like not only that, and then when I go to where my where my parents live, they live in like a beach town, so like the closest person on the grid is like two miles away you know what i mean like we're in toronto i I live in a tower called lube towers it's got a reputation and it's just full of gay men so there's like 500 gay men in one building so it's yeah that's an insane name for wow Wow. it's phallic shaped too so yeah yeah, the joke just goes on and on yeah (laughs) yeah Grinder is such a wildly good indicator of what is going on in that town. Yeah. It's very interesting. When I was, because uh, I drove from Chicago to Seattle, I, you know, my stops were in like Wyoming and North Dakota and like Montana. So of course I'm like pulling out Grinder. I'm like, what the of fuck course. is going on here? And like when you're like a trans woman, like there, you're very uncommon. And there's a lot of people who are very interested as if you're like, a silent film star like going through and it's like 1912 and you're coming by on the train it's like so much attention it's like so wild and aggressive you know it's really weird people are like way more desperate to to connect with others like them and sometimes they do it in ways that are i think to folks who are kind of like comparatively privileged in the amount of people that we can meet and connect with. It's like instantly like, ah, (laughs) you know, somebody comes through town that you haven't seen before and you just, you're excited to the point where you like, you know, jump up on down on them like a puppy or something. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. And something I found, especially when I go to more rural areas, some people might be closeted, but they're in like um, heterosexual relationships Mm -hmm. and they're like, Oh, you know, my partner doesn't know. And you're kind of like, 
ah, I'm in a weird spot. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't know what to do because I understand where you're coming from. Every queer person does when you're not ready to come out. And at the same time though, it's like, I don't want to be something that could ruin the relationship or like if you have children and it's like, it's a very odd space where I found when I'm in a more rural area or smaller city is much more common than like here. It's like, everyone's just in an open relationship or polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous in some way. It's interesting, Viv, the transition from New York City definitely left me going from feeling like I'm not cool enough to moving to suburbia and not even considering that I might not be cool enough to hang out with somebody else who is queer here. And of course, some of that is like self-confidence work that I have cultivated and worked on myself over the last five years. But most of that actually has nothing to do with self-confidence and just has to do with this idea of uh, maybe scarcity and therefore feeling like people are going to want to be my friend because we have this common denominator. And like, when you get to a point with queer folks where like your queerness is the common denominator and that is the only common denominator that can be so damaging because there are so many ways in which like queer people are not good to each other that if you get into like this trap of we must be friends because we have shared queerness that shit is dangerous and I I have to be really careful of that here yeah that's interesting I found that I gravitated toward like I did that kind of when I first moved to New York City because I was like, wow, there's so many queer people like to be friends with, to date, to hook up with. And so I just kind of was like, I'm gonna connect with everyone that I match with. And I'm gonna like, just like overbook myself past my social capacity, because I wanted to connect with folks. And, and it took me some time to like, realize like, oh, I, I can like slow down a little, like I can be decisive about folks that I really want to connect with. And that's actually going to be more meaningful. Um, so it's interesting to see like the flip side of that, of you moving to suburbia and being like, oh, maybe we're not meant to like have a connection just because um, we're I'm queer. curious in terms of the dating pool, because, you know, the queer community is already a marginalized community within, you know, the city. Do you find that you date when you're in a smaller city, when you date someone, you can't date many others because there's already pasts with everyone in that town? Do you know what I mean? Like, I felt like when I first came out in Hamilton, I dated someone in Hamilton. And then unbeknownst to me, everybody knew that person and everybody had a negative experience with that person. And they were like, literally, when I say his name, they go, he got you too, huh? And it's like, he actually goes on the apps to prey on the new gay and date them before his reputation gets out there. This is awful. Yeah. So it was, that was my first boyfriend (laughs) you know it's like so like you know but what eventually happened with that like as you know it wasn't terrible but what eventually happened was i met my community through the shared oh he's awful do you know what i mean like (laughs) oh i dated him too let's be friends like let's talk through this together you know so it was it ended up be ultimately working to my benefit but then again i was like my very first guy was literally the guy that there everyone's like oh boy you know what I mean? Like, here we go. Yeah. So like it was interesting. Starter guy. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. And oh. do you want to hear? I mean, we might be, uh, you know, if he's listening, I don't think he is. He broke up with me because he said I was keeping him from the gym. I found that even though I've moved from like a suburb to a city, that 
the quality time I spend with queer people is still the same. Like for instance, when I was in Hamilton, I had a friend who would host drag race every week and we would all bring over food and we would all eat food together in like a potluck type thing. I have that exact same thing here now with a different group of people, but it's just in an apartment instead of a house. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, we're in the city now. So now it's a smaller space, no matter where you are. I think maybe sure you might have to travel farther for them or something like that, but they're there, you know? Viv and Kai, I'd love to ask you both to tell people where they can find you after this podcast and continue learning from you. You can find me on Instagram at Pansy is Gay. It's like a reference to my music. And you can find me on Twitter, which is more professional, at, uh, at Viv McCall. Um, and that's McCall, M-C-C-A-L-L. You can find me on Instagram at Kai.Werder. I am currently private because I'm applying for like social work jobs, uh, partial eye roll. Um, (laughs) um, But you can also find my website is kaiwerder.com. Yeah. And I can't recommend Kai's work enough. They did an amazing zine on consent and it's just like totally life-changing for folks who want to learn more about that. Uh, And then I'm Gabrielle Cassell and Bobby's Buy Bobby Box. And if you learned anything from this convo, please give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you both so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. On next week's episode, Gabby and I are talking with Kristen Tribby, the head of global marketing at Fun Factory, about your favorite sexual playthings. We discuss queering sex toys, how we benefit from removing gender from sex toy marketing, and the toys Kristen thinks people are sleeping on. If you're curious about what goes on behind the scenes of marketing and producing sex toys, this episode is a can't miss. Don't forget to follow Gabby and I on Instagram and Twitter at Gabrielle Cassell and at ByBobbyBox. While you're at it, follow our sponsor Fun Factory at Fun Factory USA, our senior producer Vivian McCall at Pansy is Gay, and the newest addition of our team, Jeb Backey at Sarsaparilla underscore Sam. Music for the Bad in Bed podcast is provided by Hot Machine, a project from Philly bands Rubber Band Gun and Star Moles. We'll see you next week. I know what it's like inside the hot machine.